Please be seated. Please turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, and I will read verses 7 through 12. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, and before I read, just to recap kind of what's going on, Jesus is uh, started his ministry, and he's encountering um, a great deal of of opposition that seems out from the get-go and uh, Jesus uh, continues to faithfully serve and faith and people are continually um, being drawn to his ministry and they're following him around and then I will read verse 7 Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So we come to the uh, third editorial summary of the influence and impact of Jesus' ministry beyond and now it's beyond Capernaum, and it's the longest one that Mark gives us. Uh, it gives us an overview of just how popular uh, Jesus had become up to this point. As it is similar to Mark's earlier summary in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, it also shows us something very important. Jesus, the one who preached and taught with all authority, the one who healed the sick and cast out demons, had a ministry and reputation that extended far and wide. Since Mark writes this gospel at a rapid pace and Jesus doesn't stay put in one way, in uh, one place for very long, but rather is always on the move, it is fitting that we would come to these verses because they show us just the extent of the influence his ministry had to this point. And we are only in chapter 3. It seems everybody in the whole entire region has heard of Jesus. All the way from Tyre and Sidon down to Idumea, reaching all the way from the Mediterranean Sea over to the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. Our passage today really presents to us a striking contrast to what we have read from verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, up to this point, because all along, Jesus would preach and minister to the people, whether at Peter's house, or in the synagogue on the Sabbath, or wherever he was, on whatever day of the week it was, he constantly was bombarded by opposition. 
There were crowds that followed him to and fro who sort of got in the way. But there were also the Pharisees who continually tried to accuse him, continually tried to catch him in the act of breaking God's law. And when we get to 3.6, we see the Pharisees conspiring with the Herodians about how they might destroy Jesus. You know, looks can be deceiving. Things don't always go as expected. Who knows? Maybe, maybe Jesus would just give up. But he doesn't. Mark sets up for us today a contrast with the previous passages we've considered. And I think he does this for us to really see the power of the gospel. All that happened from 2-1 up to now has been sovereignly used by God's providence for his glory and the furtherance of his glorious kingdom. And here we see the, that kingdom growing farther and wider than we could have ever imagined. Now, this should cause you to think to yourself, to ask yourselves a very important question, shouldn't it? Do things always go as you expect them to? Often you have difficulties in your lives that you face, you struggle, and you just think that you're in for more of it. But God always surprises you, doesn't he? Because what happens is, in God's mysterious providence, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He uses even the worst atrocity that you have ever faced or ever will face for the glory or his glory and your good. And so you can face those things with joy, the joy which you can only get from Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so we see here in Mark an incredible time in God's dealing with his people. The contrast presented here, Jesus being harassed, contrasted with the successful progress of his ministry, is something you will see that will follow Jesus all the way to the cross, actually. You know, if you haven't noticed by now, you need to see that Jesus cannot be ignored. Contact with Jesus demands a response. The presence of the gospel in the flesh, the word in action, demands a response. When grace comes knocking, you are either going to accept it or reject it, but you cannot fail to respond. But you will not, you cannot remain neutral. And so I want each of you to think about this question as we look to this text together. Jesus is here, and what is my response going to be to Jesus? What is my response going to be to, Je to Jesus? Because from this text, I think we can see three different classes of individuals, three responses to Jesus. There are first those who are curious, the curious Georges as seen by the multitude here. Second, there are those who are committed, like the disciples of Jesus. Yeah, the disciples of Jesus struggled. They had their questions. They didn't have it all together yet, but they were committed to Jesus. And thirdly, those who are condemned, those who are condemned, like 
the unclean spirits. And so first, as we look at the, at the, uh, at these three categories of people, we will examine them as we look at this passage in three kind of sections. The first section you'll see uh, the increasing populate popularity of Jesus in verses seven through nine. And I think this first is very obvious, just even just after a cursory reading of this text, as Jesus continues to minister among the people and to fulfill the mission for which he was sent to earth by the Father and commissioned to by the Father, not even one could hinder the growth of his popularity, not even the Pharisees who were giving him a hard time all along. Even though the Pharisees, now conspiring with the Herodians, are seeking every opportunity to catch Jesus and to bring charges against Jesus, the common people seem to have heard him gladly. Word was going out to other regions at epic speeds. The crowds were going, growing at massive numbers. Now, Jesus is met with a challenge. Should he stay as the crowds are pressing in and the Pharisees keep seeking to end his ministry? Or should he retreat? The text says in verse 7 that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. Uh, he needed to make a tactical withdrawal, so to speak, here. He, uh, he, he needed to re regroup with his disciples the Pharisees were frustrated and were trying to catch him, and the great multitude were just as determined to be near him. And so just look where these multitudes came from, for example. They came from Galilee, close to where Jesus was already, from Judea, way down south, uh, Jerusalem and Idumea, even farther south, and even on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Then there's Tyre and Sidon, which is way north along the Mediterranean Sea. Jesus' ministry had an amazing impact all over the land. The gospel had penetrated predominantly Jewish areas of the region and even made an impact way north in pagan areas by this time. So Jesus' ministry was all-encompassing. Many people would have taken the long, over 100-mile journey just to be with Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. You see, people back then, did not, did, they didn't have cars or bikes or buggies. They didn't have trains or Uber or taxis. Their method of transportation was their own two feet. They walked, and they walked, and they walked. Some over 100 miles Put yourself in their sandals as you ponder this. How would you have felt? What would you have done? I know, you often complain, don't you? You can't have quiet time because, because you don't have enough time. Church starts too early. You know, if you started church at 11, it would still be too early. And the list goes on of excuses to ne neglect this wonderful gift of grace that God has given you. To but to neglect the means that he has given you means that uh, you're neglecting the opportunity to grow in that grace. Well, why would 
Those people do that. Why would they come from hundreds of, from over a hundred miles, their own two feet in their sandals, walking? Why would they travel from so far? Well, verse 8 says, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. I want to talk here about the first group of people that I mentioned. The first response people have to Jesus is that they are curious. The multitude here are motivated by curiosity. They heard the word that was passed on to them that Jesus was working mighty miracles. He was healing and casting out demons. They wanted to see and experience for themselves what was going on. And they carried their afflicted and their tormented with them. Now Mark makes a distinction between the multitude, those who had followed him, and the disciples. Though many followed him from place to place, uh, not all of them were his true disciples. There are those who were seeking some sort of personal satisfaction. They wanted a quick fix healing. They wanted to put on the band-aid. Or they wanted an exorcism so that they could be on their way. Yes, of course, there were those who would eventually heed the call of Jesus. Those in whom the Holy Spirit was, in fact, working. But a vast majority, I venture to say, were just curious. Curious. You know, the curious today would include those who visit church on a regular basis, but never really fully commit to a church. There are also those today who attend, even join a church, just to appease their conscience or just to appease their family or their, their friends who are with them. They even make a profession and get baptized and even curiously take the Lord's Supper. Think of Hebrews 6, for example. They hang on for a while. But a lot of these curious Georges never truly repent or confess Christ. And hopefully, though, hopefully one who is curious would eventually take the next step to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. You know, I'm wondering, is that you this morning? Are you still on the fence about whether or not to believe and follow Jesus? One day, the time for curiosity It's going to be over, and you will either be saved or lost forever. Trust and obey Jesus now while there is still time, before it's too late. So Jesus grows in his uh, popularity. His ministry impact far surpasses his predecessor, John the Baptist. And he and his ministry is heard about all throughout Israel. And this results in some preparations needing to be made, and they had to be made quick. In verses 9 and 10 of our passage, uh, we discover some preparations that are needing to be made uh, regarding the multitude that is gathered. In verse 9, he directs his disciples to prepare a small boat for him in case uh, he needed to get away. Uh, The multitude isn't angry like the Pharisees, maybe, But you can see that they are determined. They wanted to be near Jesus, even to get a chance to touch him. The people kept coming in. The people kept gathering around Jesus, maybe even 
reaching out their hand, just wanting to get a touch. And just because of how many people were there, I mean, just imagine all the people crowded around. And that could have met, meant physical harm for Jesus. He could have gotten pushed out into the lake. You know, they desired to be near Jesus, maybe to touch him, because verse 10, it says that, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Just imagine a crowd of thousands of people who wanted healing. They heard and knew that Jesus possessed power beyond measure. And they were convinced that if they could just touch him, it would be sufficient to bring about the healing they desired. And there are people there from different regions, near and far. There are people there from different cities, from different walks of life and backgrounds. And Jesus is backed up to the shoreline. And if any more people gather around him, he's got to run out of land to stand on. And they're going out and they're saying, Jesus, heal me. They're crying out to him, Jesus, heal me. And they're trying to touch him. And they're, and they're pressing him farther and farther back. And they are not necessarily Christian. You have to remember that. Now, now, now look at us. You need to ask yourselves an honest question. How excited are you? Who are the redeemed of the Lord? Those for whom Christ did shed his own blood to gather as a body to worship at Jesus' feet, to get that close to him. Do you wake up in the morning on the Lord's day and say to yourselves or to your kids, happy Lord's day? And look forward in anticipation for worship and praise and fellowship with others and with the Creator Himself? Do you long for the day when there would be a crowd so excited to gather for worship that they are impatiently lining up down the sidewalk out there waiting for worship to start? You know, it's not impossible. Brothers and sisters, we all need to pray for more of this type of desire for the Lord. I made the contrast there. Yeah, there are those multitudes that are going out to Jesus, and they're not all excited to know Jesus personally. They just want a touch from Jesus. They want their quick fix healing. But I pray that you would be excited to get close to the Lord, not for that quick fix healing for that relationship, that everlasting relationship with Jesus. So Jesus had become exceedingly popular, so popular that the people just cannot wait to see Jesus. Cannot wait to touch Jesus, even to get near to Jesus, even to what he's doing. And Jesus might need to get on a small boat unless he be crushed or drowned. And then the last section we see in our text, verses 10 through 11, emphasize Jesus' power and his preeminence. We've already seen the power of Jesus, the power of the gospel, when Jesus taught with authority and when Jesus healed many of their infirmities and when Jesus cast out um, the evil spirits. Jesus healed with a touch or even just a word. In verse 10, he healed many who had afflictions. Surely not everybody 
there that day had recognized just who Jesus was and what he really came to do. They didn't necessarily recognize that he was God's kingdom come to earth. Surely not everybody believed. Many were just curious Georges. But there were some who did acknowledge who he was. And they acknowledged his preeminence. And they acknowledged that Jesus was special. That he was the one with all authority. Jesus was recognized even by unclean spirits. The text only explicitly says here that there were many who had illnesses in verse 10. But we know that since Jesus had been healing diseases and casting out unclean spirits, they were also carrying with them on their long journey these afflicted individuals, those who were perhaps demon-possessed, even though that there were unclean spirits there and they went through all that trouble and traveled far just to be where Jesus was. You see, even the dynamic powers are made to serve gospel ends. They, even things that go on that you don't have an explanation for, evil in the world, are used by God sovereignly to serve gospel ends, even though in our scripture, we do not have one occurrence up until now of any proclaiming Jesus' deity within the multitudes of the people. The spirits immediately acknowledged Jesus and submitted to his authority. The text says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out. The unclean spirits feared the Lord. And they assumed the posture of submission before the Lord. On that day, there were many people who just wanted to take their healing and run. They did not have any desire to recognize Jesus for who he was. They ran to him for the blessing, but not as the giver of the blessing. It's also an easy temptation for you. You call out to him when you need or want something. It's easy to just ask and then they thank you and say thank you and then leave. It's not easy to fully submit to Jesus' authority. Another way to put it, you like to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, but as Lord? Well, I have to think about that one. But these unclean spirits know who he is. No, they're not saved. But God used them in a mysterious way, didn't he? And they, the unclean spirits, say something profound. They say, you are the son of God. I don't know if you get the impact of what's going on here. Previously in Mark 1, 23 and 24, it says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, these unclean spirits already uh, correctly acknowledge him as the Holy One of God. And now here they even acknowledge 
an even more Christologically significant title of Jesus. They call him son of God. This is tremendous because they are saying that he is the divine son of God. He is God in the flesh. Sadly, the majority of the people failed to see Jesus, who he really was, but the unclean spirits declare him to be the Christ. Imagine, just, just imagine the scene. All the people are standing around, rather pressing in on Jesus, many with the wrong motives, and then the unclean spirits cry out, You are the Son of God! Now think of how many people heard it that day. I think some of them thought long and hard about what they heard. Even many of those who were possessed were set free. You see, God often uses evil in the world to reveal his real power and the real power of the gospel. But in verse 12, Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebukes them and he strictly orders them not to make him known. Jesus commands them to shut up. They knew Jesus, but they would not obey him. In James, it says that even the demons tremble at Jesus, but they do not have saving faith. They don't trust and obey Jesus alone. Jesus is not interested in the testimony of the unclean spirits. It is not their prerogative. He will not have... Uh, evil spirits going around confessing Christ. This shows us that more that mere confession with our lips is not enough. You can have all the head knowledge in the world about all the truths of the gospel. You can memorize all the verses in the Bible, even in the Greek and in the Hebrew. You can have an accurate, ear-pleasing confession. But you also need to know Jesus personally. You need to realize your need for salvation and trust in Jesus alone. You need a personal and true relationship with him. And this is something only the Son of God can do. But you need to respond to the gospel call by faith. Anyways, now is a good time to talk about the next category of responses to the gospel. The condemned. Even though they knew who Jesus was and the torment awaiting the devil and his followers, they still showed no desire to repent of their evil ways. The sad truth is that there are people, maybe even people who are very close to you, who persist in their sin and refuse to repent. There are also those who will think, lightly of sin or overlook sin or even mock believers those who are those who are true disciples of Jesus the bible says that even they will one day have to answer and confess Jesus as lord there's one more group a group that we read about since back in 116 right after Jesus begins his ministry Jesus called fishermen Simon Peter and Andrew, and then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they immediately follow him. In chapter 2, Jesus calls Levi, or Matthew, the tax collector, and he follows him. And in the next section, we will, he will complete 
his band of twelve. Now, to be clear, these disciples, also called apostles, were a special group of men who had a special task in redemptive history. Because it is they, with the prophets who are the foundation of the church, they were the ones tasked with the writing of Scripture. But they were committed. And that's this third group of people, the committed. The first disciples withdrew with Jesus to the sea in verse 7, and they prepare a small boat for him in verse 9. They are committed to Jesus, and at this point, they listen to his commands are in and are his closest band of followers. They answered the call and they followed Jesus and they gave their service to Jesus in whatever he asked. And those who were committed to Jesus and the gospel are not just limited to those 12. There were others around. And just as there were truly committed followers of Jesus back then, so there are today. And I want to leave you with this question today. Because the truth is, one day, there will either be the group of the committed or the group of the condemned. There will no longer be the group of the curious Georges. What group are you going to be part of? My prayer is that one day, you and I, we will all be found faithful followers of Jesus. I thank the Lord for his wonderful mercy in calling us to himself. And I pray that we will not take this calling lightly. As unworthy recipients of God's amazing grace, I encourage you all to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus because of his grace and his love and his mercy. Trust in Jesus and obey his voice. I pray that you or I or no one here would take this gift of grace for granted. As several celebrate the Christmas season and the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would not take that gift for granted. I know it's going to be easy, and it has been easy, well, I got to buy this for him and this for her and that for this, and then you get broke and poor. It isn't about that. Whatever your practice is, I'm not condemning it, but what I'm saying is don't take Jesus Christ, the ultimate gift for the world, for granted. Be committed to him. Commit yourself to him in prayer, in worship, in service, and fellowship, commit yourself to Jesus. Even this day, if you haven't done that today, do that today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the gift of your amazing grace. And we thank you that in your goodness, you have sent Jesus to the earth and you have blessed us tremendously. And I pray, Lord, that we would not take this blessing for granted. I pray that every one of us here today would walk out of here renewed 
in grace and in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and Savior of the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.